Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. This morning we're going to be taking communion at the end of the message. So if you don't have your elements prepared, if you could just gather some grape juice or some wine or some fruit juice, a bread, cracker, matzah, whatever you have, if you could bring it, it would be pretty important for all the households on this Mother's Day to come and partake of the Eucharist together in thanksgiving for the motherhood of the body of Christ. Now, this morning, as I said, is Mother's Day and our ninth virtual Sunday service here at NC4. It's my pleasure to have my wife, who's sitting over to my left. Trish, she's joining me in the pulpit this morning, and she is, to be sure, my favorite mother. Uh, She's the mother of my kids, mother of my grandkids, and she's the mother of the house of NC4 as well. We'll be doing together a motherly topic that she's the one who's chosen. Now, one of the things that really surprised me in our marriage, we've been together for 55 years, but married for 49 years, is how easily and completely my daughter-in-law and my three sons-in-law have imbibed Trisha's motherhood. I mean, they really treat her like their own mother. They really seek her wisdom. They seek her affection. They seek her advice. They respect her like they respect their own mothers. It's something that was unexpected for me anyway. And I even think that in our relationship as father and mother-in-law to the kids, the kids treat me more like a peer, but they treat her more like a parent. And I think it's because they draw something from her that they see as valuable to their own households. And I really, really like that, and I appreciate that. Trisha and I have been praying for this one lady who's bedridden, and she had mouth cancer, and she went through a course of radiation and had tremendous pain. Uh, I mean, really, one to ten, ten-level pain for, for a while. We began praying for her daily and warring with that pain. And uh, one day, I just handed the phone over to Trish and said, you pray for her. Trish prayed for her. This is about a week and a half ago. And the next day, she got on the phone, and she's not given to saying something like this. I said, how are you doing today? And she said, it's a miracle. And I said, what? She said, I'm pain-free. I haven't been pain-free since before radiation started. I'm pain-free. And that's even perpetuated into this morning. It was like, whoa. I said, wow, that's great. And so I said, well, let me pray for you so we can seal this. We can seal it. She said, no, put Trisha on the phone. Let her pray for me. And I said, well, okay, but why? She said, well, to be honest with you, when you pray, you yell at God. (laughs) When she prays, she hangs out with God. And so put her on the phone. Trisha prayed for her, and she's still pain-free. That's a mom. That's a mom's prayer. Now, I'm saying this not just so I can brag on my wife, although that's fun, By the way, a shout out to all of you moms here at NC4, future moms, spiritual moms, moms, grandmoms, whatever kind of mom you are, shout out to you. I'm saying all of this because I identify some biblical qualities of motherhood, like I referenced in the in-between prayer, that need to be imbibed by the church and in leadership as well as in the church itself. We live in a cultural climate where, while in some circles, women who choose to be mothers uh, have been characterized as settling for something less than who they really should be, as if motherhood was this 
this alternate uh, condemnation or something. And I'm not talking about career women versus women who are, are, are full-time mothers. I'm talking about an attack. There's an attack in our culture upon the values and the qualities of motherhood that are essential for healthy families, for healthy societies, and even a healthy church. I want to begin by inviting my wife to come up, and we're going to be looking at some essential mothers that you don't normally hear about. When you pick up a book on great women of the Bible, these are women that aren't often talked about, especially one of them that I'll be covering. And so I'm kind of interested in getting into this this morning. There's a little bit of a teaching going to be going on here. So Trish, would you come up and minister to the congregation? Mom. So privileged to be here. I just need to start off as we were worshiping this morning. I just need to start off this word for the women. I really believe as we share about these three women this morning, that God is going to bring his presence, bring his revelation, bring his word to many of you, if not all of you. So I want you to have your spiritual ears alert because I know there are people there, there are women out there that are struggling because they're trying to juggle working at home, taking care of children at home. There's people out there, women out there who have lost loved ones and are struggling and need the compassion and the heart of God and the peace of God to fall in their lives. There's women out there that are alone and don't have anybody. So I just want you to try to, as we speak, just be alert to the presence of the Holy Spirit that he would drop something in your spirit of destiny for you this day. Because the women we're going to talk about, which are, it's kind of like strategically God put together a trinity, three women, one of them not even being a Hebrew, to impact, deliver, establish the children of Israel as a nation. So this is called three Levitical mothers. The three Levites we're talking about are Jochebed, the mother of Moses, Miriam, the sister of Moses, and Batia, Pharaoh's daughter, and the adoptive mother of Moses. All three of them involved in Moses' life. They all played an extraordinary part in the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt. And so we're going to begin by reading a portion of Scripture, Exodus 2. But I'm going to give a little bit of backdrop first because I feel like it's very important. There arose a new pharaoh as king of Egypt that was threatened by the Hebrews. The backdrop I want to give is we know the story of Joseph interpreting the dream, became close to Pharaoh. He interpreted the dream so that there would be no famine or how to handle the famine, and became close to Pharaoh. His whole family came into Egypt. At this point in time, when this new Pharaoh king of Egypt arose, this is after Joseph and the whole generation died. But this is what's wonderful. When this Pharaoh came into rule, what it states in Exodus 1 is that... 
the children of Israel were fruitful, increased abundantly, multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. God's people, the land was filled with them. So this is where I want, this is what I want you to understand when we look at this new king of Egypt. See, he's now, he's the king and he's threatened because there are so many Hebrews, they are multiplying, they're mighty, and he becomes worried that they're gonna take over in Egypt. So the first thing he does is he, he decides that he's going to put taskmasters over them and really pressure the Hebrews, increase work hours, increase duties, and feels that, oh, when, when we pressure, they're going to fail. They're going to fail. This is going to start to kind of knock them out, so to speak. Well, the more pressure that gets on, the more they multiply and increase. Then the next path is he tells the Hebrew midwives, listen, this is what I want you to do. Whenever a Hebrew baby boy is born, see the girls were not a threat to the throne. Whenever a Hebrew baby boy is born, you midwives, you Hebrew midwives, make sure that you kill that baby. Any boys. And the, but the midwives, feared God, and they wouldn't do this. And so when they were questioned, their answer, which is great, I don't think this happens too often, but their answer was, these Hebrew women are so lively that those babies are right out and we can't even get there in time to do anything. So after that, the Hebrews increase and multiply, increase and multiply. God's favor is just on his people. So then the next edict from this pharaoh is, okay, this, he's getting angrier and angrier because it's, it's not working. His pressure with tasks and work is not working. His pressure of trying to kill baby boys is not working. The next thing he states is, okay, so now what happens, whenever there's a boy, you throw them into the Nile. That's what you do, you throw them into the Nile. So that's where we're gonna begin reading in Exodus 2, verse 1. But I want you to be aware, at this time, uh, I'm gonna talk about Jochebed, but I want you to be aware at this time, Miriam and Aaron are already born. Miriam's around 15, Aaron is around four. Can you be, can, I can't imagine being the mother of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, and all that they, accomplished in God. Okay, Exodus 2, verse 1. Now, a man from the house of Levi, we know from Exodus 6 that his name is Amram, went and took as his wife a Levite woman. And also from that chapter, we know that her name is Jochebed. The woman conceived and bore a son, and she, when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. I kept trying to look up and say, Figure out what is a fine child. Anything I read is that this was one beautiful, beautiful Gerber baby. I mean, it had to be a really beautiful child. That's the only explanation I could get. Anyway, she hid this baby for three months. This tells us this baby would have already been circumcised because that is done on the eighth day. And when she could hide him no longer, she took 
for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. This is Moses' sister, Miriam. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying and she took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Okay, so let's just stop right there. I can't imagine being Jochebed and birthing a son at that time when she knew the edict was to destroy any male child. Furthermore, I can't imagine trying to hide a baby for three months so that that baby would be safe. Now, there is Hebrew tradition that there was a word from God that there was going to be a deliverer coming, and so that's why they as parents felt comfortable. I don't know. Sometimes even we get prophecy. I don't know if that's enough to keep you comfortable when you are in this situation. I even think now about mothers that are having to deliver at this time and the fear of going into the hospital. I know it's not the same thing, but this was a woman of courage. This was a woman of strength. This was a woman of ingenuity to put together this um, basket to put her child in to save her child. The very waters that were to kill her child are the waters that save Moses. So, and then there's, so that's, that's mom. Then there's Sister Miriam, brave Miriam, walking along and making sure that this baby is safe. And then when she sees what goes on with the daughter of Pharaoh bathing at the river and seeing the baby, not only is she bold, but I was shocked by the compassion of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, you've got to realize Pharaoh's daughter is watching her father kill children. Reminds you of what went on in the New Testament as well. He was so threatened, looking behind his back all the time, that what he had to do was get rid of anything that could take over his throne. But here his daughter is living with that, sees a child and has compassion and takes pity on the child. Miriam is bold and brave. These are all attributes of different attributes of these women that I'm hoping some of us can grab hold of today in the situation that we are living in, which is very different. But, but, Jochebed hid him for three months. She was quarantined for three months trying to hide this baby. So Miriam is very bold, and this is what Miriam does. She goes up to Pharaoh's daughter. Now, it's probably thought that she must have been a servant in the royal household that she would even be able to approach 
Pharaoh's daughter. She goes up to Pharaoh's daughter and says, how about I get a nurse for you that will nurse this baby? Pharaoh's daughter, this is verse 8, says to her, go. So the girl went and gets the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. This is just such a design of God. I mean, mom had to step out in faith and let go and, and save her child. But that whole time, there was a watching over and there's Pharaoh, now, now, what could have destroyed their entire family because they're hiding a Hebrew child that should have been thrown in the river. Now, they're under the blessing of Pharaoh's daughter, who is not only going to allow the mother, Jochebed, to nurse the baby. It's like the child's given back to Jochebed to nurse the baby, but then on top of it, she's getting paid for it. I'm going to give you wages, it says in verse 9. Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. So she gets the child back, and she's rewarded with a wage from the royal household. That's mind-blowing. When God has a plan, he's watching over it to take care of it. Okay, so... She took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, this is verse 10, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. The idea that Moses was saved by coming out of the water is incredible because it's the very thing that was supposed to kill him. This, of course, ends up being an extremely prophetic name drawn out of the water. Israel ends up being delivered through the water, and Paul identifies the deliverance as a symbol of Christian baptism. So what I love here is mom receives her child back and even cares and nurses until it's time to bring the baby to Pharaoh's daughter. But that's usually anywhere, when I was trying to look into this, is like two to three years old. Can you imagine the things that got established and the bonding that went on with that child and that mother? I, I know very often I've heard it's the first three years that things are really significantly established in a child. And so Moses' own mom got to do that. So here's the first biblical mother, motherly attribute we find all three we find in all three women, especially Jochebed. Mothers are women of supernatural protective faith, whom God strategically positions. There couldn't have been more strategic positioning than what was in this whole scenario with these three women. We probably can't even count the number of mothers who have prayed for their children, their grandchildren, and husbands into the kingdom. Jochebed personifies that. I'm sure many of you have heard many stories, many times. Yeah, my grandmother prayed for me. I w my grandmother would pray for me. My, my mother would pray for me. And God honors that. And this, is, this because of all the hearts of these women 
the deliverer is saved. In Hebrews 11 and verse 23, the writer of Hebrews, who may have been Priscilla, highlights the faith that characterized both Amram and Jochebed when it says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months, and his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, were not afraid of the king's command. They weren't afraid of the king's command. Wow. Why they would not be afraid of the king's command? Again, the tradition, the Jewish tradition, is because they had a word that their son would be spared to become a deliverer. They trusted in God. They refused to obey Pharaoh's brutal and merciless decree. So Jochebed decides after three months of hiding her beautiful son, something greater had to be done to save him. I mean, already three months at home trying to keep a little infant hidden. Couldn't do that any longer. Being a woman of faith and knowing what God is calling for, she had to move. She had to take action. So she acts. And she used such creativity and ingenuity to form a plan to save her son. It's brilliant. And it's inspired by God. The, so the next point is the duty to act in faith is ours. The subsequent events are God's. That letting go is so hard. That letting go and trusting God with your child is so hard. And I'm telling you, I have found as a mom, there has come a point with every single one of my children's lives that I had to let go and understand this is God's child. It's my child, but it's God's child. And he can take care of this child. Jochebed knew the design of God was greater than what you see. That's what we need to understand. Even with what we're going through now, when we're in our homes and we're quarantined, there is a design of God that is greater than what we see. When she could hide the baby no longer, she got a basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. She designed, I love this, she designed a waterproof mini ark. That's what she designed. The Hebrew word for basket is taba, meaning ark. She designed an ark of safety. And where have we seen that in scripture? There's three arks in scripture. There's Noah's ark. And we know what God did with Noah's ark. There's Jochebed's ark. And then there's the ark of the covenant. All of them built by priestly people carrying the presence of God to save his people. So Moses being carried in an ark to save God's people. And like I said, Noah we know well about. And the presence of God, carrying the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant. So that's why I thought her plan was so incredible. So I want to encourage moms this morning, whether you are a spiritual mother, a literal mother, a future mother, God has a supernatural protective mandate of faith that you can act upon. Your motherhood is biological and spiritual, especially in this crisis. That's why 
I'm asking that you listen. There is a design through this. There's a design for every person and every woman and every mother as you're struggling trying to figure out what else can I do today with my children or how am I going to handle being another day alone? There is a design from God that we are going to thrust forth and come out in greater glory because he is in it with you. God's releasing strategies for health of your households as well as a household of faith, as well as for the household of faith. Watch God work. Look for it. Look for it. It's there. I can't tell you, our son just moved to Tennessee. And I can see miracle, miracle, miracle upon miracle. Okay, so... He's going to move to Tennessee. Mm, don't know if I can get it. And this is right before the pandemic. Mm, we'll try to get a job. Yep, get a job at the end of January, beginning of... Okay, we get a job in January. Okay, now I'm going to go down. I don't know where we're going to live. How are we going to afford rent? Uh, we really like to buy a house. We've moved seven times. Uh, uh, how are we going to do this? On his, the very neighborhood they want to move into, on his way down, the day he's going down for training... There's a house that's going to come on the market at the end of the month. Somebody tells my daughter about it. My son gets down there. Hey, can I look at the house? Meanwhile, his wife is not there. I don't know that I would recommend this, that a woman never looks at the house before they buy. But So um, he gets down there, goes in, looks at the house, buy a house that day, and underbids, underbids in this market when it is a seller's market. So we saw miracle, 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 knowing that this is the place that he was to be. That's just one example. There are things God is doing during this crisis, and you need to have your ears at attention to hear and to see what he wants you to move into. Okay, so there's another Levitical mother in this story that we hear about, and she's kind of an unsung hero in Moses' life. And hubby grubby's here already. When you hear about women in the Bible and heroes in, in the scriptures, women heroes, heroines, there's a name that you don't really run across too often. And uh, as Trish said, it's my pleasure to unpack the life of a motherly hero in this story who's pretty much ignored. It's Pharaoh's daughter, and she has a name. Actually, she has two names. And the tradition gives her Egyptian name, but the fact of it is that the name is very consistent, that that name is very consistent with Egyptian history and culture. It has to do with her being a priestess of the serpent god, which Pharaoh's daughters were. That's what they were. And her name is consistent with that. But she has another name. And in fact, a Hebrew name. And it's like an astonishing name. Are any of you old enough to remember the movie The Ten Commandments? like it was done in 1956, Cecil B. DeMille. Yeah, just probably Bill Holmes and I. Oh, no, some of the other people here. Well, it's shown every Easter. And, you know, it's so cheesy, but you can forgive it because it's like 1956. Everything was cheesy. Yul Brenner was a pharaoh and Charlton Heston was Moses. And I have an autographed picture to me by Charlton Heston of him holding the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and I can still hear, let my people go. All right. So anyway... In the movie, Pharaoh's daughter is addressed in the movie as Bethia. And, and she has a name. And I wonder, well, where did that come from, right? 
And then in H.B. Moore's The Moses Chronicles, those novels, her name is Bethia as well. And in the movie, Bethia is really sympathetic to her people, the Egyptian, but she realizes that her father, Pharaoh, is acting like a crazy man. So she leaves the luxury of the court and she reunites with her adoptive son, Moses, and then she goes through Passover as a Levite in the household of Moses. And then she goes on to cross the Red Sea and she, she, uh, when, when the golden calf is going to be worshipped, she's one of the people in the movie who stands against idolatry and all those kinds of things. And I thought, where's all this coming from? So um, where does this stuff come from? So it, some of it comes from a rabbinic tradition in history. But, but, in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, because we're interested in the scriptures here, in 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 8, we actually find Bethia's Bethia, Pharaoh's daughter. And it's this, this, that genealogy in 1 Chronicles 8, it's in the middle of the genealogy that has all these really nifty historic tidbits. It's that kind of a genealogy if you want to know why there are genealogies in Scripture. And it's the same genealogy that gives us the prayer of Jabez, which became an industry. So here's what it says in 1 Chronicles 4. Hang on to your hat. It says, these are the sons of Bethia. And just in case we're not sure... The, Pharaoh, the daughter of Pharaoh, whom Merid married, and she conceived and bore Miriam, Shammai, Ishba, and the father of Eshtemoah. So biblically, here she is. And her name is Bethia. And she's a biological mom herself that gives us this amazing look into the backstory of Moses' salvation from the Nile. See, it's interesting. The ancient Jewish historian Josephus lists her Egyptian name as Thermusis, which again, roughly means a priestess of the serpent god. So, and this is again, consistent with Egyptian culture. But what's amazing is this, is here in First Chronicles, her name has changed. And whereas her name was the daughter of the serpent god, her name now is the daughter of Yahweh, Batia. Bat means daughter, like a bat mitzvah. You know, Bot means daughter, E is of, and then Yah is Yahweh. She's now the daughter of Yahweh. She's a Yahweh worshiper, married into the tribe of Judah, out of a Levite household. And so, you know, what are we to make of this? I mean, what a story. And here's something of the mothering spirit that I believe was in Jochebed, as well as Miriam, and even on the banks of the Nile all those years ago, by the Holy Spirit, a spirit of compassion and the ability uh, to recognize in the, the exercise of their motherhood that their God is in fact God. And she sees something radically different in their faith. This is and in the motherhood of Jochebed and Miriam. And she realizes, and, and it comes to her that their God is the God of the universe. So the point is, a mother's biological gift to nurture gives her like this unique receptivity to take on board the motherly compassion of God. Do you realize that God is all of motherhood's embodied in God? When Jesus when Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, he says, oh, I would have liked to gather you like a hen. I'm a hen. I want to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. And see, he's, he, this is a motherly prayer. And so there's, there's, there's this, this 
need for the church to take on board uh, this nurture capacity. When I see, uh, like in the media or even in life, a mother who's unable to take compassion toward a child, and it happens, or uh, uh, even uh, somebody who's forlorn, I know I'm seeing a woman who's been hurt and ripped of a key portion of her identity. We support Bright Hope. Bright Hope is the ministry here in the Lehigh Valley, uh, uh, which is compassionate toward unwed mothers. We do a lot of stuff with that. But it's interesting how much uh, post-abortive depression takes place when these women harm their children. It's, it's, a, huge, it's a huge thing. So, what I, what I want, and the, the whole thing also I wanted to mention is, you know, we do uh, mops here, and every year we're trying to figure out whether we're going to do it this year or not. But I'll tell you what, a lot of those mothers minister to a lot of mothers. There's this whole uh, transaction taking place on the value of motherhood. The mothering of Bethia not only saves Moses, watch this, it saves her, herself, and it makes her a mother in Israel. And although this priest isn't a Levite by birth, she becomes a Levite by adoption. What a story of motherhood. One of the writers in, in, in our writers group need to, need to pick this up, probably one of the ladies, because this, you could have a field day with this story, with this backstory. And since one of Trisha's passions is the prophetic, I'm going to tag team with her now, and she's going to quickly do the last of the Levitical moms. And this is the finale, and then we're going to take communion. The Levitical moms are Jochebed, and then Bethia, and now we're going to talk about Miriam. So the final Levitical mother of the trio is Moses' sister Miriam, who was presumably that Hebrew servant to the court of Pharaoh's daughter. She's a Levite and has all the strategic and motherly instincts of her own mother. She certainly worked it well when she was dealing with her brother. In rabbinic tradition, she becomes the wife of Caleb and renamed Ephratha, or I don't know if I'm saying that, Ephratha or Fruitful One in Chronicles 2. That may be true, but it's up for debate. But the uh, Bible distinctly focuses on her spiritual motherhood. As a matter of fact, God himself, through Micah, declares, for I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and and Miriam. I don't think we, I think very often we think of Aaron holding up Moses' arm and Moses, but I don't know that we focus on Miriam as much and how she was one who was declared as just as important. She's listed as a clear prophetic leader and one of the three great deliverers. That's how she's listed out of the land of Egypt. So prophetic mothers are a key ministry for the health of God's people. Being prophetic and hearing God as you work with your family. I just spoke to somebody this past week, and I said, okay, so now you're all together. Now you're crammed all together. Start paying attention to the destiny of your child. You can start seeing giftings when they are very young, very young. I'm going to go back to Miriam. As the children of Israel emerge from the passage of the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army is destroyed. It's Miriam that leads Israel in the prophetic song of the sea or the song of Moses. Miriam's listed as the leading, as leading and singing. And all, in the scripture it says, and all the women followed. She gave a prophetic thrust 
what this indicates is that she composes and sings. So this is verse 20. Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord. Where does the glory go right away? Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and the rider is thrown into the sea. Many of us are familiar with those words, but we often miss the prophetic focus that pours out. She declares the greatness of God, the strength of God, and that he's a deliverer. Later, she goes to prophesy Philistia, Edom, and Canaan, God's purposes for the children of Israel. So she has this strategic international reach. God include a mother as a key tool of deliverance. So I want to encourage you mothers to come forth, to be prophetic, to take your place as spiritual mothers. If ever there was a time that the church needed compassion, it's now. And the protection and the prophetic strength of spiritual mothers is now. So I'm saying rise up, rise up. Uh, we're going to take communion now. I want to do it just a, a little bit differently. It's important, I think, that we do it this way. What I'd like to do is Trisha's going to consecrate the, uh, the bread, and I'll consecrate the grape juice. So you can take your bread or cracker or grape juice or wine. And uh, you guys have yours? Uh, okay, all the musicians and everybody here has it. So what I'd like to do is we're going to do this as households. So rather than me do the consecration uh, for the whole church virtually, what I'd like to have us do is uh, I would like us to consecrate for our own household. So if you're there, uh, I would like you to repeat the prayers of consecration after me, okay? So like I will say, on the night that he was betrayed, and you would say, on the night that he was betrayed, or if Tricia does that, on the night that he was betrayed. And then repeat after me. So we need to take a little bit of a space to do that. But I, th I felt like it's important that each household is covered by the head of the household. Now, if you're a single mom, you're the head of that household. Cover your household. But before I do that, before we go there, I want to know, on this Mother's Day, is there anyone out there who's never sealed the notion that you belong to Jesus Christ? Because that's what we're about to honor in just a few moments. And maybe you've been watching and you've kind of been interested, but you're not sure. I want to say this, this Mother's Day this morning, some mother somewhere has been praying for you. This Mother's Day this morning, I believe you can bring that into fruition by praying a prayer that seals the notion that, there seals the reality that Jesus Christ died for all of our sins. And by identifying with that death, see, Here's what's interesting about Passover. In order for Passover to protect the children of Israel, they had to consume the lamb. And here's where we consume the lamb. We internalize what Jesus did on the cross for us, and we can do it this morning. And what I'd like you to do is just pray after me this prayer. And so if, if you would, just uh, follow the prayer, pray it. Even those of you in your houses can pray it, and then we're going go to go to Eucharist. So... Lord Jesus, I, I thank you that you died for me. That you took uh, the justice that I deserved and put it upon yourself because you loved me so much. I want to accept that love this morning, Lord. 
I want to accept you into my heart. I want to accept you into my life. I'm sorry for all I've done wrong. I ask that you forgive me. And I receive you by faith. In your own name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.